This week on Give Me Some Truth, we discuss Disney World and the CPA exam, along with the most important thing, the Secure Act, with our special guest, uh, Chris Schmidt from Boardman and Clark Law Firm. I'm joined in the booth here today by Clint Walkner and, and a very special guest, Chris Schmidt, who's joining us from uh, Boardman Law Firm. Uh, and Chris uh, kind of has a unique background for a lawyer, actually. Clint. He seems to do it all. He he is a true Renaissance man of the law because uh, not only does he do uh, estate law, he also does tax law and uh, is licensed as a, a CPA. So if you want him to do anything in your entire world, except for financial advising, he could do it. Pretty much. He covers death and taxes, I think is the way to look at it. Are you also good with your hands? I try to be, but we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, actually he is, you are pretty handy, right? Because uh, you have, what are, haven't you done a bunch of projects around, around your house? Yeah, we built our house in 2015 and we've decided to do a lot of the own projects ourselves. So we built our own deck. We've uh, working right now and finishing our basement. So we do do a lot of projects. So basically you can, I think you could probably rent him out to take care of everything in your life except for financial advising. Yeah, we should probably tell you that you can do too. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, financial advising is the area where I stick to. Uh, <laughs> let you guys handle let's yeah, let's let's keep that one on the agenda. <laughs> he can replace us in every way, but, but uh, he's a good bolt on. In addition, for everything else, we can't handle. Very true. Uh, Very so true. we have Cl- uh, Clint. We have uh, Chris in the booth today to talk about the the Secure Act. Um, which we've written a little bit about and, and I think is something that is proposing uh, quite a bit of changes uh, for people while they're living in terms of you know how things will, will be distributed on their IR accounts, what they'll see on their statements, and so on. But I think for the most part, the, the biggest area that, that people should be aware of right now is in terms uh, of estate planning from what I can gather. Yeah, I think that people focus a lot on, you know, the RMD age moving from 70 and a half to 72. That's just one small piece of the bill. Uh, the bill has a lot more nuance to it, and hopefully uh, Chris can help illuminate some of those nuances and things that we should definitely be careful about uh, when naming beneficiaries and et cetera. Yeah, and, and so what's the, if we were to put in, you know, and, and we're happy to address this as well, Chris, uh, in terms of after death, what's the, the biggest changes that we're seeing with the SECURE Act? So the biggest change that we've been seeing and really planning for is really that elimination of the stretch-out provision for most beneficiaries. So that's most beneficiaries, after somebody passed away, they could take distribution of a retirement policy from a decedent over that beneficiary's life expectancy. So they could stretch it out over a number of years. So as you can imagine, for younger beneficiaries like children, this is a huge advantage. Secure Act, however, went away with this for most beneficiaries. So now, unless you're one of these special classes, these eligible designated beneficiaries, your payout period has been shrunken from a life expectancy to 10 years in most cases, which is a pretty substantial change for most beneficiaries. And it isn't just all one-tenth of the account each year. It just has to be emptied by the end of the 10th year. Correct. So you can split it up however you like, but just by the end of that 10th year, it all has to be out. And that's a pretty big penalty if you decide to just not do that and bury your head in the sand. It it is. So the penalty starts to escalate where essentially the penalty equals the full amount of the account. So they're really saying, get it out or pay the IRS. 
And, you know, from a, from a planning perspective, obviously this means that what used to be, you know, if I had a $100,000 IRA and I could stretch it out over my expected life, lifetime, that might mean I, I'd only have to take out like 4000 you know, 2000 2500 a year. Now, uh, you know, over those 10 years, I may be looking at 10k a year or 100 grand by the end of the the 10th year, right? Exactly. So depending on the beneficiary's tax brackets, this ends up being a very big deal and especially depending on how big that IRA account is. So if you have a more substantial IRA account, your beneficiaries could be looking at a hefty tax bill. And so how have uh, how have you guys have you have you been dealing with a lot of people racing in and saying, "Oh my goodness, the Secure Act, we need to rewrite our wills or redesignate our beneficiary or have people been uh, like we, we are anticipating kind of ignoring it. It's been a little bit of a mixed bag. And I think for the people who are concerned, the big deal is people who have been naming um, trusts as beneficiaries has been the big one. Because it's whether that makes sense anymore to name a trust as a beneficiary, um, especially when people say, you know what, I'm going to name a trust for my minor child as beneficiary. Well, now does that still make sense? That's been a lot of our questions that we've been dealing with and seeing does it still make sense to name trusts as beneficiaries at this point. Can you give an example of when it would make sense for a trust to be named as a beneficiary in that regard? Sure. So especially when you have a child who's a minor, typically that's where you're going to want to name the trust as a beneficiary just because you don't want someone who's reaching the age of uh, 18 after being 17. So he reaches the age of majority, reaches age 18. You don't want him receiving a giant IRA account that he can do whatever he wants to with it. So you want to have some kind of age limit set in place for it to be held in trust for him. So now the question is, what age do we have it distributed out to him? What age do we start trusting the children? And as a parent, do you care, essentially, about how the child uses the money, or do you care more about the tax planning? And there's a little bit of a quasi-stretch provision, uh, I would call it, in those minor children in that they don't have to distribute the accounts necessarily in 10 years, correct? You're exactly correct. So the, the rule they have set in place right now is if you have a trust set up and it qualifies as a see-through trust, so it still qualifies under the old rules as a see-through trust, you can still do the life expectancy stretch out until the child reaches the age of majority, at which point it switches over to a 10-year payout. So you could conceivably have a, still a substantial period to pay out those, those retirement accounts. Um, but the big thing is age of majority depends on the state you're in and also depends on if the beneficiary is taking educational classes. So it's, it's not a completely clear case as it was under the prior law. This is the the exceptions are always why you know it's good to have an expert to to guide you through because we can provide general uh, guidance and you know all of those sorts of things. But once you get down to the you know nitty gritty of individual situations, it gets a little bit more complex, right? It, it does. So, I, and I think in most circumstances, what I've been telling clients is you can still stretch it out for the child over life expectancy until they reach age eighteen. And then it switches over to that 10-year period. So really until the child reaches age 28 is when you can have the money keep coming out um, to them. So it's really how long do you want the trust to last? So if, typically if you're having the trust last for a child more than age 30, that's typically where we're going to want to talk to see should we change your estate plan up. Uh, are there any other cases where you think, you know, um, 
trusts still would make sense. How does this provision work with uh, special needs trusts, for instance? Yep. So individuals with disabilities or who are determined to have a chronic illness, they are also in that special class of eligible designated beneficiaries. So they still also get the stretch out over life expectancy. So a big thing for planning opportunities is is if clients have one child who has special needs, maybe that child's trust is a prime candidate to receive those retirement funds, depending on the amount in the account, because that child's trust can still stretch out those payments over the life expectancy. So you're absolutely right. Special needs is one. Um, Also, if you want to leave money to charity, this makes it even better for IRAs to do that with your beneficiary form, since those charities don't pay that income tax that the beneficiaries would. How do you deal with it when uh, you have somebody that has one, say they have two children, one child is in a really high tax bracket, one child's actually in kind of a lower tax bracket. Do you see it as a common practice just in general, not even related to the SECURE Act, but I think the SECURE Act would exacerbate this in that um, some assets might go to one person, say more Roth IRA assets, and then uh, more taxable assets go to another person. Do you see that sort of trust planning being done? So actually, I had that exact question come up last week. So that actually does pop up, and it is very common for a lot of parents to actually look at that planning. The hard part is you don't know when you're going to pass away, and you don't know how people's income tax rates will change over time. Uh, but it is definitely a pl- pl- an area of opportunity for planning if somebody does want to do that kind of tax planning. And I think as well, this, you know, on our side of things before death planning, this is a case where, you know, for clients who may have discussed a a Roth IRA conversion in the past, a Roth IRA conversion starts to make more sense if, you know, you're looking at a substantial amount of those IRA assets being passed on to to your heirs, right? You're absolutely right. So it, it provides even more of a benefit to a Roth conversion if after you pass away, it provides that certainty of your beneficiaries don't have those income tax consequences. So if it makes sense during lifetime to do Roth conversion, the SECURE Act makes it even more sense in terms of what happens after you pass away. And I have to do a quick commercial for having an estate planning attorney because there are certain small things where you don't think that you'll need them and they become really important at the end. For example, uh, I'm personally involved in a situation where there is a disclaiming asset situation where some of the assets were disclaimed down. And if that was not properly titled at the time of setting up these accounts, the ability to disclaim some of these assets would be off the table. And I'd figure with the SECURE Act, it would be an even bigger deal if some assets were disclaimed and sent down to children in that regard. So uh, I, I believe that everyone should meet with an attorney uh, to discuss what their own specific estate plan is, and then make sure that you name those those uh, contingent and tertiary, in some cases, beneficiaries to assure that your planning is being executed in the way you want it. And I, I would follow up with that by saying that oftentimes we're seeing that beneficiary designations can be just as important as your underlying documents. So it's really important to take a lot of great care with those designations because oftentimes people will open up an account and they'll say, oh, it's another form for me to sign and they'll just fill it out as quickly as possible. But most people's assets these days are going by beneficiary forms and by joint accounts. So if you're not titling things properly, you could absolutely blow up your plan. Or just give it all to your ex-wife. That would be a good move, you know, by never changing your beneficiary. <laughs> never change it, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, leave it to somebody that you knew th- 30 years ago that you forgot about. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's a great reason for why we always tell people, always review those beneficiary designations every couple of years or whenever there's been a major life change. 
And, uh, you know, I think from an estate planning perspective, though this isn't a major life change, this the, the SECURE Act should probably, you know, prompt people to go back and, and chat with their lawyer again about how their will is set up and, and making sure everything is, is right. Because as well, you know, in terms of splitting beneficiaries or maybe, you know, in the you had left uh, certain assets to a friend of yours and certain assets to your children, maybe it makes sense to now split, you know, the IRA account three ways instead of two ways, correct? Absolutely. So the worst that I can think of that can happen is if you go to your attorney and they say, oh, no changes are needed. Well, that's a very good case to end the end. Um, but it is a great case if the attorney says, you know what, here's a couple things that you might want to do. And those are conversations you would have missed out if you didn't initiate those conversations with following up with your attorney. Well, obviously, Keith and I think uh, from the beneficiary, kind of the stretch provision side, but what, what are a couple other uh, aspects of the SECURE Act that we might be overlooking or not asking about that we should be asking about? Uh, so really, uh, the other big one that's come up um, is in terms of uh, when does it make sense to actually look for your beneficiary designations? When does it make sense in terms of splitting it up, as you were saying, between a second spouse and a trust for a second spouse? Because that's often something that we deal with where people want to leave money to this second spouse, but they have their children from a first marriage that they're worried about, that they don't want the second spouse essentially to take all the money and run away with it. So now it's bringing, bringing this to even more attention of, for this second spouse case, how do we do the beneficiary designations and how do we do the trust? So it, it makes it even more important to go visit your attorney if you are in any kind of complicated family situation like that. Because I also know that the state, if you put nothing down and you go to probate, the state has certain rules as far as what the spouse gets. In, in one case, I, I read in uh, one state, because I've been doing a little research for a family member on this, it was like $100,000 goes to the spouse, and then it gets split 50-50 between the spouse and the kids. And so I'm seeing some of that. So if you want any control over that, mm-hmm. uh, probably recommend seeing an estate attorney and putting that down on paper. Because this situation, that was not the case. Uh, yeah, but you're absolutely right. It's, you, you should see the faces sometimes of children when they realize that, hey, stepmom is receiving half of dad's estate, and they had no idea that was going to happen. And yeah, in general, I think it's a, it's a good idea to lay out to, to your children any of your, your kind of plans when, when you're making them, correct? Oh, ab- absolutely. <laughs> so I always understand sometimes parents want that need for privacy. They don't want to create friction during lifetime. But what I always tell clients is, look, do you want that friction to happen now where you can help diffuse it? Or do you want to have it happen after you pass away and then everyone goes to war against each other? And now in, you know, sort of, are there any other uh, sort of exceptional cases that you would, would think of that the, the SECURE Act might change uh, people's estate planning thoughts or how they might approach, uh, you know, distributing assets or, or so on and so forth? I think the probably the other biggest area I touched on a little earlier is really that charitable intent. Because um, oftentimes people want to leave some amounts to charities and they often do that within their will or their trust document. But here, this is a great opportunity to name a charity directly on your beneficiary designation form, receiving either percentage or dollar amount of that retirement asset, and then just revise your documents to take the charity out of there. It provides a nice, clean, easy way for the charity to get some money, and then it provides a better income tax savings to the remainder of your beneficiaries. Especially since, you know, there's that step up, you know, for taxable assets, there's this step up in basis on those, whereas now, you know, 
what may have been stretched out and, and kept you in a lower or, you know, more normal tax bracket. Now you're, you're looking at, you know, all of a sudden higher taxes. Um, and so I think, yeah, if you, if charitable giving is, is quite important to you, it's also a good occasion for you to reconsider how you're, you're distributing the assets. Exactly. Absolutely. And I think one of the other things that makes me uh, ponder a bit, and I'd love your opinion on this because you you wear a couple different hats. Uh, do you think that this is going to increase the use of life insurance then in plans because people are planning a little bit more around taxation? I, I certainly wouldn't doubt it. Um, I had someone ask me about that a couple of weeks ago where they were wor- really worried about their beneficiaries paying income tax on the, these retirement proceeds. And they're saying, I never wanted to saddle my kids with this tax debt. Uh, how can what can I do to uh, avoid this? And life insurance was one of the solutions brought up. So I certainly would not doubt it. That's a great opportunity to use life insurance just to provide some way for your beneficiaries to pay that tax that maybe they and you weren't expecting. Um, now, one thing I think that always comes up, and and we've talked about it. You know, trusts have a, a sort of reputation of being a thing for only ultra you know wealthy people, and yet you know. If I, for a lot of your clients, they're kind of a standard estate planning tool. Um, and these aren't, in a lot of cases, as you said, you know, uh, irrevocable trusts in a lot of cases. So just, you know, very quickly here, uh, do you want to just address why uh, a trust, you know, what the overall function of the trust is and, you know, with the beneficiary titling, why, you know, you may not need to worry about putting the IRAs into that trust, even if you're putting everything else into that trust. Yeah, so with a revocable living trust, you're absolutely right. That is a very common thing for a lot of estate planning clients, even if you're not a millionaire, even if you're not ultra wealthy, just because the benefits you get in terms of the privacy where it, when you have a trust and everything's set up properly, you don't go through the probate court. So everything is private. It's not held through the court process. Um, everything can be done a lot quicker because you don't have court timelines. You don't need to deal with court filings. So what it really means is oftentimes beneficiaries can get money quicker. They can get the property quicker. Now, that's not all cases because there's always weird things that pop up and there's always trust disputes. But it Lawyers, can... guns, and money is my oh, favorite ab- absolutely. expression. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so oftentimes it can be quicker. Um, but a really big thing with trust is really just that, that privacy and the quickness that can result in beneficiaries getting assets sooner. Um, what we often say is that with trust, you put more money and effort in on the front end, but then hopefully there's less money in terms of lawyers' fees and other expenses on the back end, and things are quicker on the back end. Um, so in terms of beneficiary designations, oftentimes a trust may not be appropriate for estate planning purposes for a younger couple where they're they're just married, they name each other as beneficiaries on everything, they have a pretty cut and dry case. But as they get older, as they get children, as they have more assets, that's typically where we look at setting something up like a trust. And uh, for yourself, who are the clients that you generally work with? Uh, so I work with uh, all range from uh, younger professionals to older professionals to people who are uh, just retiring. Um, and I do a lot of work with small business owners. And uh, over the summer, I got also uh, went down to Florida to pass the Florida bar exam. So as of this fall, I'm also licensed in Florida. So I recently started in helping snowbirds as well as they're escaping our Wisconsin winters. How was the bar? 
it wasn't too bad. That's the first one you've had to take, right? Because uh, Chris went to the University of Wisconsin for law school. Smart man. Huge, yep. huge Badger fan, by the way, we should mention. I gathered where, yeah. what, what he's yeah. wearing today. Yeah, flying W shirt today. But, uh, you know, if you go to law school here at the UW, you don't have to take the bar exam in Wisconsin. We're, yep. one, we're, we're the, the only, only state. state that has that privilege. So when I was down there talking with other uh, they were law students at that point because not a lot of the other people there had been out practicing for a number of years, but they were all shocked at me when I said, oh, yeah, this is my first bar exam, but I've been a practicing attorney. <laughs> so it's, But it was quite the experience. Uh, what I've been telling people is really is the same difficulty as the CPA. It was just a lot of studying and essentially relearning the law. Uh, you really like tests, huh? My wife always pokes fun at me. I, I love tests. I love the exercise of all learning it all and then showing on paper that you do know, in fact, what you're talking about. Um, now, and if I remember correctly, you're also a big uh, Disney fan. So did you arrange to, to go to Orlando while you were uh, taking taking the bar, take the family down, uh, kill two birds with one stone, as it were? Unfortunately, we did not. <laughs> uh, I, my, I talked about it with my wife, but we were worried about the distraction and then also worried about... Uh, her kind of being set out on her own with two kids wanting to go to Disney while dad was stuck for two days in a conference center and <laughs> decided that probably wasn't the best case. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I, I thought I'd ask. That would be good planning there. It would be. Uh, anything else you want to let folks know before we let you go? We really appreciate your time. And I think the big thing is really just look at those beneficiary designations, make sure they make sense. And just if you have any questions, especially if you already have an estate planning attorney, contact that attorney and, and just make sure that your plan still makes sense both for you and your beneficiaries. And if somebody wanted to contact you, how would they go about contacting you? Uh, so I can be reached uh, by phone. Uh, I'm here in Madison at 608-286-7157. Otherwise, I'm always free to answer emails, and my email is cschmidt at boardmanclark.com. And there are about four other Schmidts at Boardman Clark. Uh, they're, they're trying to band together to add Schmidt to the <laughs> end of, of you know Boardman Clark Schmidt, but none of them are related. <laughs> so it's not like a an nepotism thing. Yeah, it, it's all these Schmitz. So I think you can just pick you can a letter. Put Schmidt to the fourth power up there. Yeah, or something yeah. Like you, that, you, know? you can you can pick uh, any letter of the alphabet and then write Schmidt, and <laughs> you should be good. You'll probably I reach think. one of us. Yeah, one of one of the folks at at Boardman and Clark. Uh, Chris really, uh, Chris Schmidt of Boardman and Clark joined us today. Talked a little bit about the the Secure Act. Really appreciate your time uh, and your expertise, since you know you wear so many hats. I think this is a unique case for. Uh, you know, where all of those hats kind of converge into, into one place, huh? It's always nice when a plan comes together. <laughs> and, you know, the other thing that we would say, and I, I think Chris would reiterate, we're always glad to sit in on these calls uh, with, uh, you know, with uh, your estate planning uh, attorney or with your CPA to, to walk through some of these questions because um, there are cases where, as well, sometimes we may uh, re reconfigure the, the asset management strategy, et cetera, depending on you know what the long-term goals are for these items. Yeah, and one of the big things we always tell clients is it's very important to make sure you have a good team around you. And we often say, you know what, we don't want to be in the business of uh, financial investment advice. So we are always happy when we can have those uh, calls together and where we get to know clients, financial advisors, just because it's it's always been important for your plan to work during your lifetime and after you pass away for your whole team to know each other and know what's going on. Excellent advice. Anything else to add, Clint, before we let you go? We're good. Thank you. All right. Thanks again, Chris. And uh, thanks again for listening to this week's uh, Give Me Some Truth. 
Advisory services are offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Clint Walkner, Nate Condon, Jonathan Jordan, Mitch DeWitt, and Keith Ponywise are investment advisor representatives of Walkner Condon. Guests on the podcast are not registered, and their participation in the podcast are limited to unregistered activities and will not provide any advice that is investment-related, nor should any comments that guests make be construed as giving investment advice. Content should not be viewed as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned or as legal or tax advice. You should always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, is not engaged in the practice of law. Whenever you invest, you are at risk of loss of principal as the market does fluctuate. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of an investor's objective, risk tolerance, and time horizon. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Long-term care, estate planning, insurance products, and tax advice are not offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC. Walkner Condon works on a best efforts basis and does not guarantee any results. Past performance does not represent future results. Please see walknercondon.com for additional disclosures.